Voices of Colibri is led by Gabby Cárdenas, founder and CEO of the Colibri Collective. Listen along as Gabby invites integral members of our community to share their insights into today's most pressing topics in marketing, from women's empowerment to entrepreneurship, social and cultural awareness, politics, and more. The Colibri Collective is the first Latina-owned digital agency in Phoenix, Arizona. You can learn more about us at thecolibricollective.com. Welcome to Voices of Colibri. Gabby Cardenas, founder and CEO of the Colibri Collective. Welcome to the Voices of Colibri podcast. Today, we're excited to speak with Brittany Fonteno, the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood of Arizona. Brittany has been in leadership positions in Planned Parenthood throughout the United States and recently joined us in Arizona this last year. So we're so excited to have her in our beautiful state. Um, she has deep roots in advocacy work and has been working in reproductive justice for 15 years. This is a passion of hers, and her work really focuses on achieving equity for people by bringing vulnerable communities to center of sexual and reproductive health care. We're excited to hear more about her story, reproductive rights, and Planned Parenthood today. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you, Gabby. I'm excited to be here. Well, we'll start with some questions, uh, and um, please um, feel free to elaborate a little bit more. Tell us a bit more about your journey and how you really started um, to be an advocate and be in the forefront of reproductive justice. Yeah, this is a really great question, so thank you for starting with this. I think it's so important to remain grounded in the why of why we get involved in this work, because it's not just a typical job. It's really hard work to work in sexual and reproductive health rights and justice. And the simple answer of how I got involved was being spurred into action by witnessing inequities play out in my own family. So a little bit about my background and my family. Um, my parents both grew up in poverty, which was relatively common for people of color and this particular day and age that they grew up in. My parents grew up in the segregated South and in Brooklyn, New York, before it was gentrified, um, and really were able to break out of that cycle of poverty through lots of faith, hard work, and lots of luck. Um, and they were able to provide me with a very different kind of life, one where I didn't have to worry about healthcare, where I had access to education and opportunities. But I saw that many other people who looked like me, who looked like the people in this room, didn't have those same access to opportunities. In fact, I had several people within my family who didn't have access to education or to healthcare or to really the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive healthcare to make their best decisions about their bodies and their lives. And so seeing that inequity play out in my own family made me want to get involved and make a change so that people of color, LGBTQ people, immigrants could have equal access to opportunities and education in order to be able to thrive. Thank you for sharing that as a woman who comes from a, a culture that doesn't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. it, it's something that I remember something, it's a taboo in the household of a Mexican, mm -hmm. you know, Mexican parents. We don't talk about, we I mean, we talk about it now, <laughs> we better, right? Uh, but 
it wasn't spoken about. Mm -hmm. And I think Planned Parenthood has hit home gener many generations. And I applaud you for taking that leap of faith and being the voice for many um, BIPOC communities. Um, even back then, you know, Planned Parenthood was there available for many communities. And Absolutely. Women that had no access or no way of dealing with this, um, the fear of even communicating or mm -hmm. didn't know what, what resources were out there. But Planned Parenthood was there for a lot of us. Yes, definitely. You bring up a really great point, and that is that in a lot of our communities and a lot of our families, especially BIPOC families, it is considered taboo to talk about sex or to talk about how to have safer sex. And so the idea that Planned Parenthood could be there both for young people and for parents, because we do work on providing sex education for parents as well, giving them the tools and the resources so that they feel comfortable and empowered talking to their kids about sex and the options available to protect them has been really important. Well, I think that brings up another um, question. Um, besides the education portion, um, what other services do you provide I love this question because I think that Planned Parenthood, people would be surprised to know about the diversity of services that we offer. So we offer the full range of sexual and reproductive health care. And so this looks like comprehensive um, sexuality education, connection to resources and information, also offering STI and STD testing and treatment. We offer the HPV vaccine. We offer um, compassionate, safe, legal abortion care. And we offer PEP and PrEP services to support people who may be living with HIV. We offer um, a full range of FDA-approved birth control options, including the pill, LARCs, which are long-acting reversible contraceptives, um, which can really support people to be able to take that worry of uh, birth control out of their daily lives and, and have a birth control option that helps them avoid unintended pregnancy for a couple of years at a time. And then at PPAZ, we are working very diligently right now to be able to launch telehealth so mm. that people can access the same compassionate and expert healthcare providers that are in our health centers from wherever they are. So they can log on from their phone, from their computers, maybe they're on a lunch break from work, maybe they're in their car outside of school and they can get care that they need really quickly. We're also working to launch gender-affirming hormone therapy so that we can better care for our non-binary and gender um, and transgender patients, um, helping them align their physical characteristics and bodies with their gender identities. So there's a lot that we offer at Planned Parenthood, and I just encourage people who need care or want care to come and come come and visit us. That's that's a lot more services than a lot of people would know. It's pretty extensive. So yes. thank you so much. Um, I think that we all get caught up on knowing certain uh, terms. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for example, we, we understand what reproductive rights are, right? Because mm -hmm. that's kind of like in the forefront of a lot of a lot of the issues that are happening right now. But Definitely. can you expand a little bit more on reproductive health? Um, Reproductive rights as well. Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to um, elaborate a little bit more in their reproductive justice. 
Absolutely. This is a really great question. I think that reproductive health rights and justice, they're definitely interconnected and they're also different. And so it's important to honor and differentiate where there are differences. And so reproductive health really refers to the overall health and well-being and services to take care of a person's uh, reproductive system. And so that can look like annual exams, pap smears, uh, services that really uh, connect people to care. And then when we talk about reproductive rights, we're talking about uh, the legality and advocacy, making sure that we have the right to uh, be able to get the reproductive health services that we need. And so when we talk about reproductive rights in this country, a lot of times we're referring to abortion rights and contraception. Um, as I talked about before, reproductive health encompasses a lot more than just those two um, services, but those are two services that are really at the forefront of a lot of Americans' minds right now, especially because of the Supreme Court case that is challenging Roe versus Wade. And finally, reproductive justice is a really great culmination of many intersecting issues. It is um, looking at abortion within the broader context of people's communities and lives. So using both a human rights and social justice approach to abortion rights and abortion work. And so it was created by 12 visionary Black women that were able to observe how feminists from the Global South incorporated a human rights lens to their reproductive rights work and thought that that could be a really great way to advance reproductive justice and abortion rights here at home. And where reproductive rights really seem to focus on legal advocacy, reproductive justice takes a more holistic approach and thinks about access to services. So understanding that a right means very little if you don't actually have, for instance, transportation, if you don't have childcare, if you don't have the money to be able mm -hmm. to pay for an abortion. So um, these three different ways of approaching repro work are different but interconnected and we need mm -hmm. all three of them in order for us to eventually achieve true reproductive freedom. Wow, that's a wealth of information. Thank you so much. Brittany, this is, um, this is I'm sure, something that frazzles you and frazzles a lot of women um, because there's a lot of people making decisions about our bodies. They're male, one. Exactly. Um, very uh, conservative um, individuals. This has been in the forefront uh, nationwide, but then is hitting home really hard. Tell us a little bit more about some of the bills that are, are being presented and, um, and what's going on with legislation. Absolutely. So there's a lot here, as you can imagine. And I think you really hit the nail on the head that when we're talking about bans on abortion or restrictions on abortion, what we're actually talking about is control over people's bodies and taking away and stripping away their bodily autonomy and their human right to make their own personal decisions about their bodies, their families, and their lives. So we're seeing these attacks happen across the country at the state level and at the national level. Of course, we know 
This is in the news on a daily basis right now because of what's going on at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is considering overturning nearly 50 years of precedent that was set by Roe versus Wade that guaranteed the constitutional right to abortion. Now, with Roe hanging by a thread, the mm-hmm. states are really ramping up their attacks in 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 a way that we haven't seen in a very long time. They're waiting in the wings to be able to jump in if and when the Supreme Court decides to overturn Roe v. Wade. Here in Arizona, we have some of the most hostile uh, abortion laws in the country. There are a lot of restrictions that put up multiple barriers to people seeking access to care. And so in our state legislature, Right now, we're contending with a couple of different abortion bans. The first one is a 15-week ban on abortion, and that one is designed to mirror Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, which is uh, the primary ban that is being focused on in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health case at the Supreme Court. And so that abortion ban is designed to... uh, cut off access after 15 weeks of gestational age. And so if that if the Supreme Court decides to uphold Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, then we have this ban that's waiting in the wings to be able to ensure that we have a ban here in Arizona at 15 weeks as well. We also have a ban on medication abortion. This is a relatively new bill that has been introduced for consideration, and we expect that it will, at the very least, go forward. We are we have a um, conservative majority in the state house, and we have a conservative governor who is very anti-choice. And so that would cut off access to abortion by pill, which we know is safe and legal and gives people the opportunity to be able to manage their own abortion in a way that feels comfortable and private to them in conjunction with a doctor. And then the final piece of legislation that I wanted to lift up is that we have our very own Texas-style abortion ban. So it should probably not be surprising, but it is still very atrocious that this ban was uh, introduced in uh, the Texas legislature last year and uh, became law. And we have a copycat of that ban here in our legislature in Arizona. And so this ban is just on another level. It deputizes citizens to be able to uh, uh, conduct lawsuits against anyone who is providing or supporting someone who is obtaining an abortion. So that means that your your Uber driver could be sued if they took you to your appointment to receive an abortion. The doctor who is providing this essential care could be sued um, by a stranger that's on the sidewalk. And so it really takes the idea of bodily autonomy and that invasion of privacy and personal decision-making to another level. And we are going to be fighting this 
ban and, and the other two bans that I mentioned and just doing everything that's within our power to leverage the rage that many people rightfully feel on the fact that their rights are being attacked in such a dramatic way. Wow, you said it best, atrocious. We are still acting like we're in the wild, wild west. Exactly. Uh, it's, wow, it's so disheartening. I mean, I I had an idea of all these bills, but when you break them down individually like that, it's, it's really about control. Absolutely. Um, and... I, I know that you and your team are doing the best to make sure that mm -hmm. um, you stop these bills and and hopefully uh, constituents hold their legislators accountable and that voters know that they have the right to call their legislators and hold them accountable because they are in office mm -hmm. due to the fact that they were voted for. Um, and sometimes... We don't know that we have a voice mm -hmm. and we should be holding those legislators accountable. Absolutely. I think that you bring up a really great point, and that is that we have power and we have more power than we like to think that we do sometimes. And I think especially as people of color, as women, as LGBTQ people, there's so much untapped power that the opposition wants to ensure that we don't uh, tap into. And that is understanding our rights, being registered to vote, turning out to vote, and holding people accountable when they are in office. And mm -hmm. so some of the things that our advocacy team are working on are making sure that we are in communities and we are letting people know about what their rights are and how they can hold their uh, their representatives accountable. And so we like to really help people leverage the request to speak system so that they can provide testimony, so that they can make sure that their representatives understand what it is that the people want. We know that in Arizona, like in much of the rest of the country, that a majority of people actually support Roe versus Wade and don't want to see it overturned. And so what we're seeing now is actually the product of partisan gerrymandering trying mm -hmm. to lock out <laughs> people of color and other marginalized communities from voting and from really having our interests uh, represented in the state house. Mm -hmm. I, it's all a ripple effect. I mean, it started with the redistricting. Exactly. Yes. It's just, it's, it's control. It's control. Exactly. And Arizona did have such a great turnout last year mm -hmm. that um, people are scared and what are they what what's their leverage now it's trying to control the narrative trying to control mm -hmm. what they can so we do have a voice and we have to amplify that and um we have to make sure that um we empower our mm -hmm. communities um to make sure that they speak up like you said they could be testimonies mm -hmm. they could hold um their legislators accountable call them, let them know that you're not okay with what they're doing um, and trying to pass these bills that mm -hmm. are trying to control their body because at the end of the day, it's a control thing. Exactly. So um, we're going to now talk about um, you are a black woman mm -hmm. 
and a, a top level management. Um, you know, Arizona is a pretty big state. Um, and I commend you for, you know, being in, 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 you know, this, this position. I know that it probably has not been an easy um, sh shift for you. Uh, and so tell us how it's been to navigate in, um, in places where it's primarily white. This is a really great topic. And I think one that we should talk about a lot more. I know that there's a lot of conversations about women in the workplace and that is wonderful. And I think adding on a layer and context of what it's like to be a woman of color and specifically a black woman in leadership is essential if we want to really break down barriers and support uh, people in being able to achieve their maximum potential. And so I think that my experience has been that I try to keep my values at the center of everything that I do and not compromise on my values around equity and respecting all people and being bold and centering my communities in everything that I do. When I think about why I do sexual and reproductive health rights and justice work, it's because BIPOC communities and the LGBTQ community, um, both of which I'm a part of these communities, our communities don't have uh, access to care and equity in terms of health outcomes in the same way that the white community does. And so I'm really pushed to want to advocate and make improvements for my community. And then part of that in my estimation, is seeing people in leadership who are reflective of that community. And so I have had to work really hard, and I also recognize that I've had an immense amount of privilege in terms of being able to make it to this level of leadership. It doesn't always work out this way for brown and black people or queer and trans people to be able to make it to a top leadership position, even if they're immensely qualified. And so I have worked in partnership with other women of color, other people of color, and really work to support each other, creating informal networks in which we support each other's professional growth and development, where we mentor each other. I've also had white allies and mentors. And so when I think about uh, the fact that we need to lift up people of color and leadership positions, it, it really takes, um, it takes a village mm -hmm. to, to make sure that we're not just in leadership, but then once we're in leadership, that we're supported and that we are set up for success. And so these are all things that I'm thinking about and want to make sure that for the next generation of leaders, that the the path is a just a little bit easier for them. Well, thank you for sharing your journey. It is, um, you you know, I feel that um, we need more women of color and in to be at the table, and at the same time to have your internal village because once you're there, it's really it feels lonely. I I've been there. Um, and you, you feel like, how are you going to be successful if you don't have the support? 
And the other thing is always thinking of making sure you're um, uplifting other um, women of color. Absolutely. And um, making sure that you are you are bringing on future generations so we could have representation, especially in the work that we do, mm -hmm. because this is what happens. People are making decisions based on our own behalfs and they haven't have the lived experiences that we have in. So how could somebody make a decision on, you know, um, affordable housing if they've never had to experience what affordable housing really is or um, reproductive rights if they've never had to go through, you know, um, getting birth control themselves or, you know, like I talked about the taboo of never speaking about, you know, sex in, in my household. And I was curious about how I was going to maybe have sex for the first time. And mm -hmm. what if I got pregnant? What would, what would that do to my parents or to me, to, mm -hmm. you know, my education? So I think that it's something, I think it's within ourselves that it's our duty to really bring up more women of color if we can. And I think just women as a whole. Absolutely. Um, and to be at the table because I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people are making decisions on our behalf and that should not be making. We're just speaking about that right now, mm -hmm. about all these legislative bills of people making decisions based on the control that they want over our body. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because you brought up just so many really great points just now and touching on the last point about control. Let's think about why men and specifically white men might be interested in controlling women's bodies. And it's really because if you can control a person's body, if you can control their reproduction, you have the ability to really control entire communities and the destiny of those communities. And so there is definitely a vested interest to controlling communities of color and our ability to thrive and advance in the United States. And so it's not just about abortion bans. It was never just about abortion bans. Abortion bans in and of themselves, of course, are terrible, but it's important that we remain centered on what the true purpose of this is and why we need to fight back. Mm -hmm. In this particular, they want to make sure that um, crime rates are up, poverty levels are as high as they are. And so it's a whole plan of its own. Exactly. Yes. The other thing, I think we talked about this um, specifically. Do you have a development um, plan within within your organization or, or are you part of another organization mm -hmm. to develop other young Black women or LGBTQ to help them and build their leadership skills? So I don't have a formal plan at this time, but I've always been, I suppose, informally invested in making sure that I'm reaching out that I'm, and that I'm supporting people of color and LGBTQ people in the workplace. And so one of the great ways to do that is to be able to serve as a mentor. Um, I've worked with other uh, black and brown women and queer people to be able to talk through what their career goals are, provide advice if they want it, or sometimes unsolicited advice, but uh, really serve as a sounding board to talk through 
different ideas and share my personal experience because as you talked about before, lived experience is incredibly valuable in understanding how to navigate uh, the professional environment and just life in general. And so I think it's really important that that we're really supportive of our communities and and fostering uh, people's ability to grow. Thank you. Is there any final thoughts um, that you would like to share as we close the um, Voices of Colibri podcast? Yes, a couple of final thoughts. One, come to Planned Parenthood Arizona for care. We offer high quality and affordable health care and information for all people. Um, I think that people oftentimes think that our services are for a certain set of the population. And it's true that we do uh, want to serve people um, no matter their identity or their ability to pay. And then um, I would also say that in terms of advocacy, that's another great way to get involved with Planned Parenthood, making sure that you feel empowered, that you uh, know your rights, and that you are holding people accountable who are our legislators and uh, representing our interests at the State House. Well, Brittany, I think you made me feel really empowered today. I think um, I don't think I know you did. I really love you sharing your story, your journey on really what started your career, starting at 19 years old and knowing that this was your your journey um, is really exciting to hear and look at you now um, as the CEO of Planned Parenthood in Arizona. So we're lucky to have you here in Arizona. Thank you for all the work that you do uh, on behalf of Colibri and our entire team. We value the services that you provide. And we're honored to have you here um, as our guest. So um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Voices of Colibri. Subscribe for updates and stay tuned for our next episode. Learn more at thecolibricollective.com.